Tell me, young Luke, what brings you out this far? Oh, this little droid. I think he's searching for his former master, but I've never seen such devotion in a droid before. Uh, he claims to be the property of an Obi-Wan Kenobi. Is he a relative of yours? Do you know who he's talking about? Obi-Wan Kenobi. Obi-Wan. Now that's a name I've not heard in a long time. A long time. I think my uncle knows him. He said he was dead. Oh, he's not dead. Not yet. Well, you know him. Well, of course I know him. He's me. Tell us, Rose. It's been 84 years. It's okay, just try to remember anything, anything at all. Come on, man. And with the local DBC news, Evan Cool J with a triumphant comeback. More a But tonight, don't call it a comeback. I've been here for years. I'm rocking my pants, foot suffers and fear. Making the tears rain down like a monsoon. Listen to the bass go boom, explosion. Overpowering, over the competition. I'm towering, wrecking shop. When I drop these lyrics that'll make you call the cops. Don't you dare stare. You better move. Don't ever compare me to the rest that'll all get sliced and diced. Competition's paying the price. Welcome to the Noted Bitcoin Podcast. We're back. We're, we're rebooting for um, our annual podcast episode. <laughs> so after this one, you'll have to wait another year. Uh, but we'll, we'll try to make it good. <laughs> uh, of course, I have uh, my co-host, Michael Goldstein, here. Howdy. Maybe we should do it every four years, like a halving special, and that's it. Yes, yes. And we have to take into account uh, the clock drift of uh, the time chain. So, yeah, we got to do it on the having, And we'll get half out. as long each time. So eventually there just <laughs> won't be a noted. We'll, we'll drift into just nothing. Yes, uh, we'll ascend to Bitcoin heaven. We, we become Bitcoin. We become Bitcoin. And uh, we're joined with a very special, special, special guest today, <laughs> uh, Morgan Rochard, my wife, and uh, my co-host on the Bitcoin for Advisors podcast. Thanks for having me back on. I'm, I feel honored to be here. Especially for such a very special, special episode. Yes. So it puts a lot of pressure on you, too. Yeah. <laughs> Got to deliver yeah, on this one. Say <laughs> smart things. Okay. I'll yes. try. You always say smart things. I, yes. I sometimes say dumb things, so I'll, I'll refrain. Um, Morgan is a world-renowned financial planner, best-selling author of uh, Personal Finance Quick Start Guide, and um, it has... Five stars on Amazon. It does, yeah. yeah it has yeah. Only, like it's like four point eight something like that. That's round pretty up. well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Let's round up. Yeah. What What was the one criticism? Oh, like, what I was had that a... one guy? What was the? Uh, he was looking for Ethereum investment <laughs> <Yeah>. advice. <laughs> and, uh... No, there was actually a lady who said that the budgeting in the book was not good. Mm. And my budgeting advice is actually that you don't need a budget if you're saving properly. But if you do need a budget, here are some tips. And I don't think she liked that. Mm. And I was like, hey, if you just save 20%, you know, maybe don't worry so much about all the categories. It's not really budgeting advice, I guess. Yeah, I guess some people just, they, they, they want everything to be told to them. Yeah, well, it's so personal to your spending, right? I mean, I can give you advice about what I think you should spend based on my own spending. but I don't want to know what yeah. Peter spends money on. Yeah. <laughs> Books. Books, yes. Um, Bookshelves. Bookshelves. <laughs> I don't know why that's top of mind. I, uh, yes, I just built myself a bookshelf in my uh, home office, and 
it's got a lot of books on there. Some of them I've read, others I need to get to, but please, Bitcoiners, slow down on the book re releases. <laughs> I, I need to catch up on my reading and they are piling up. Most recently we had uh, Alex Gladstein publish a book. Um, Alan I, Farrington. Alan Farrington. I still haven't even read the Fiat Standard yet for safe. So it's uh, it's really overwhelming to be a Bitcoiner. There's too Maybe much. in uh, four years at your next episode, you can have Safe Adina on and he can explain to you his next, his third book that he'll have out. Well, by you then. only have to wait two years. Yeah, there you go. So. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, it's not so far away. But after the Bitcoin standard, after the fiat standard, what what's the next standard? Is it like the the beef standard? I guess. Yeah, the beef steak. Yeah, yeah that's a that's a good question. Well, we'll save it for when Safetyne's on the podcast instead of speculating <laughs> about it. Well, I'll tell you, you have all these books and then constant podcasts. I feel like we actually did people a favor by uh, holding off for a while so people catch up. Yeah, I mean, we want our listeners to live their lives as well, so that's why we don't release every day. A new episode. Um, I'm sure they don't. They don't like that argument. At yeah, all. they don't see it that way at all. They're like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm gardening. I need to listen to Bitcoin podcasts. They don't want us living our lives. They're like outside our door with pitchforks. I I do <laughs> feel like um, there's a bit of cancel culture in Bitcoin where if you don't release a an, a podcast episode every week, that people start complaining, and they're like, hey, you need to do noted again, or otherwise we're not going to be fans anymore. This is how powerful Bitcoin is. It's like a drug. It you is. Just, you get addicted. You need your fix of Bitcoin content. I think there is also a podcast standard. Like a lot of people will release every single week. So if you're not on that weekly drip, then what are you doing, right? <laughs> yes. Well, you know, we've got a lot of competition nowadays too. So I feel like the market is saturated. But I understand that Michael and I provide unique value. Morgan and I's episode provide unique value as well. Um, oh, I'm a big fan of your podcast. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. I'm a big fan of your podcast. Wow. <laughs> Let's just continue to uh, stroke each other's egos. It's yeah. Great. This I is, love this episode. This is why people complain about influencers. <laughs> <laughs> They're all just like meta, inside baseball. They just, all know each other. They all know each other. They go on each other's podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> it's like in, in every single like community you know of online, that's exactly what's happening. Everyone knows each other. They all, it's, it's a good grift and it's, uh, I don't know, it works. <laughs> so for the grand re-reopening of Noted, what do you want to talk about today? Uh, influencers, grifters. <laughs> <laughs> I figured you'd say that. Yeah. What, what's the latest in grifting strategy? Uh, latest in grifting strategy, um, Mm. Well, I, I think obviously the uh, s selling receipts to artwork uh, on the blockchain is uh, the, the latest. <laughs> oh, the, the, the NFT, but not not on Ethereum NFTs. Like we're doing Bitcoin NFTs because yeah, and uh, it's funny. Rodolfo was up there and he goes, uh, "We're really interested in NFC," and I heard NFT, and I was like, "What?" And I was, "Oh yeah." NFC, yes. Okay, that's that's more on-brand. I on like brand. that, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah, NFC's good. Yeah, I've wondered, you know, I, something weird about just the idea of collectibles. Um, I, I'm not sure. Maybe it's, like, from, from becoming less consumerist. I just I don't have the drive that I used to have in an older time to mm. just be collecting a bunch of things. Yeah. yeah. I think it also helps when you have kids and they collect so many things that you're like, my house is just full of stuff that's 
you know, arguably our kids need, but probably don't. But I don't want to add to that by adding my own collectibles. Yes. I, I think that it's a fad that will fade very quickly. Um, and it has in the past too. Like, it's not like this is like a new concept, but it's just going to come, come back in waves because basically you have these people who somehow, you know, had some Bitcoin and now it's worth a lot and the, they do want to spend it, right? It's the wealth effect. The, the more wealth you have, the more you want to spend it. Um, but in their minds, it's not acceptable to just go sell your Bitcoin and then spend fiat at a coffee shop. You have to spend crypto to buy crypto. <laughs> so, mm. so they're like, okay, well, what can I spend this on? Oh, I'll just go buy some ETH and I'll go buy uh, an NFT. And now like, I'm part of the crypto economy. And it's like, but you didn't want the NFT. So you just wasted your money. You could have just... Some of these people really want the NFT. Uh, I read an article. I don't remember <laughs> where it was, but it's talking about just the the culture of the, the bored apes. Um, specifically had to do with um, a... I think it was like a New York NFT week or something like that. Mm. And just the, the sheer emptiness of these people's lives. Uh, because it, it, was, it was... like It's almost like a, a ticket to enter a social mm. world where it's like, ah, yes, I too am a bored ape with my monkey JPEG. But you can't even look at the JPEG. I guess it's like the crazy part about it. Like Actually, at first I thought when you buy an NFT, oh, okay, now I have a digital art that maybe I could hang on my wall in the metaverse. But that doesn't actually seem to even be the case. Which crazy to me is when I found out, and you know, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't believe that the NFT on Ethereum even actually has a hash of the item. It's it's a link. Yeah, it's a link. It's so crazy. Y- you are dependent on the ICANN domain system but michael they have a hash of the link (laughs) so you're you're actually buying a link you're not you're buying a a url without owning the domain it just yeah yeah. it seems like a nightmare it is um but i think that people in in this fiat society are so deprived of community that any semblance of community they'll latch on to um but i also think that when i I, I could imagine a world where I look at NFTs and I'm like, these are aesthetically really nice. But we live in the opposite of that. I haven't <laughs> seen a single NFT where I was like, oh, you know, actually, while I wouldn't buy the the URL, I might actually buy the artwork and print it out and put it on my wall um, or, or just right click and save it. <laughs> uh, but I've, I've never even felt a need to right click and save. Yeah, the best NFT I saw was was pre-Ethereum, and it was the, uh, I think it was pre-Ethereum, I don't know the exact timeline, but it's certainly not built on Ethereum, and that was just like the Wu-Tang Clan uh, album they made. I, I forget what it was oh, called, yeah. but they had, they had yeah. an album where they made a single copy of the album, oh, right. and it was like beautifully designed, there was, a, there was a lot of, it was actually like, if you look at the case and everything, it's it's. Didn't the uh, really beautiful. pharmaceutical guy, am I thinking of the same thing? Yes. He, he bought yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Shkreli, Martin Shkreli bought it um, yeah. and supposedly used it as a coaster. Um, <laughs> I think it is in the hands of the federal government now. Um, <laughs> really? I think so. When, when you know, he got arrested and all that. In any case, like, there's an NFT and it was like actual, like, yeah. you know, beautiful artwork going into it. Um, you know, they, they worked hard. I don't know what the music is like because I don't know if they ever released it. Because it was only that. So, like, they had listening parties. Hmm. So, he had to go to a listening party. And then he got it. And he was thinking of just, you know, he was using it as a coaster. Um, I think they may have had plans to, like, 
put it online after. I don't know. But now it's Janet Yellen who's having listening parties because she stole it. Oh, she, she, yeah, I mean, (laughs) Janet Yellen loves to enter the 36 chambers. (laughs) It's one of the reasons why people invite her to speaking engagements. She brings the copy with her. She knows the mystery of chess boxing. Um. Yeah. So. Something about the collectibles. Something that's kind of crossed my mind. Uh-huh. I don't know if there's anything to this, but I almost have a problem with like artificial scarcity. Um, I know that Bitcoin kind of is artificial scarcity. I think the listeners can hear. Yeah, they're uh, applauding you, Michael. Yeah, that they was a really, really, good really point. like your yeah. point. <laughs> there's something. <laughs> no, we're something we're at like a the, we're at an unchained event, and and we're kind of in the side room over here, and uh, they're applauding the people on stage. But yeah, definitely Michael too, though. Yeah. <laughs> yes, Michael too. <laughs> Yeah, they just can't get enough. So the collectibles. Um, Yeah, yeah, there's something like about you know, obviously like Bitcoin has a sort of artificial scarcity, and yet it's also that's that's enforced by natural limits. So I would actually put it more like a natural scarcity. The it was just the specific number was the artificial aspect of it. Mm -hmm. Um, But when it comes to like artwork, it's not the number of artwork, uh, artworks or whatever that's in in the, that's an issue it's the fact that we like we lack quality um and so i don't know i if, if you make something good I, I don't i don't have that same impetus in me when i when i create things i want to share it with the world and i don't really have a need to sort of limit it um to one thing and so when i think of like what makes a good collectible i don't think of the person who just bought some nft someone made uh, came up with i think of the person who maybe they have like a, a deep love of some kind of ancient history or something and they seek out these things that are scarce because they're like physically scarce now like you mm-hmm. know there's only so many roman ruins to go around and they they hunt down the particular thing that they care much about and it has like this you know story to tell um but there's something about the the artificial scarcity i, I think of like um funko pops you guys familiar with Funko Pops? No, These are little uh, little bobble bobbleheads that they sell, and they're all of um, various like pop culture things. You can get your Harry Potter ones and your Star Trek, and it has literally everything because the way they keep it going is by just you have endless pop culture items you can pull on. So I, I knew that there was like uh, like they were really going to do anything when I saw like a trading places bobblehead like there was someone who's like oh yeah i need dan Aykroyd from trading places as a bobblehead and then uh also it was like uh kevin costner from uh white men can't jump really like, no. that, that's a bobblehead <laughs> and all people right. they buy them and they also they treat them as investments i've i've seen stuff where people are like yeah you know i'm buying this but it's going to be worth this oh, much no, one that's day that's such it's a like, fiat thing to say yeah. about a bobblehead it's like you know late stage <laughs> late stage uh you know soy fiat is yeah. uh creating these like artificial scarcities around uh these like you know pop culture things and they can always make more of them as well so you're just like trapped in these like fake games and uh i'm not saying like nfts are necessarily exactly like funko pops but it all kind of gives me the same energy i think they are like that i mean um they the the people who are going into nfts from from what i've seen are folks who are not orange pilled um, and that the people who are orange pilled have flipped to the other side of they've fixed their fiat brain and now they're actually they're they're more interested in like you said physical art physical beauty because one of the cool things about Bitcoin is that it dematerializes 
money. And so um, even with like, you, you can have this sound money, but it's not gold because it's not physical. It's just 12 or 24 words. Um, and that, in my mind, makes physical things um, different, where now we're no longer using them as a store of value. We're not using them as an investment. We're really looking at their use value. And for art, the use value is the aesthetics. And uh, now the you know, now that we can stop treating art as an investment and actually start treating it as an aesthetic use, aesthetically useful um, thing, uh, then we can optimize for that. uh, Because, you know, obviously something made in China with lead paint, you know, mass produced in a factory uh, that's aesthetically uh, dubious. (laughs) Uh, Sorry if you're into Funko Pop, but... uh, I, I, I don't I don't find it. Uh. <laughs> I think well, there's also the part of it though where um, either you you're orange pilled right or you're you know kind of into this weird art world that people are in. But there's also the there are so many people out there right now that are kind of selling a story that's not Bitcoin, um, and they're very good at it. Um, and they're very skilled storytellers like Andreessen Horowitz comes to mind of like, you know, the stories that they tell and the things that they've put out there. And I think because they've been so successful with their investments in the past, and I think it's easy to see them as successful, even though maybe they invest in 100 things and 99 of them go out of business and one of them does really well. Right. And that's how VCs work. But for the average person who sees that and hears their stories, they get really excited about what people like that are saying regardless of what the product itself is that they're selling. Web3, enter the metaverse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> a couple of things on that. So like Ethereum and all that, it really is like everyone's trying to enter the metaverse. They're trying to like escape into this digital realm. And to your point about Bitcoin being this like uh, sort of intangible thing that brings us more about like what is the use value of things that are around us, it's unintuitively i think to a lot of people it actually kind of at least for me and it seems like for you and for others it kind of actually brings us more into the real world so bitcoin is like a real world thing and as far as far as it's like this digital currency with all of this you know computation involved that's a means by which to secure these like physical relationships that we have um and yeah i feel like even less enamored uh, with the idea of the metaverse and such as time goes on. I mean, I remember w- reading Snow Crash and thinking like, wow, that's kind of cool. Um, but by now it's like, ne- if, like that's that's a horrifying endgame scenario to be strapped into um, a, a virtual reality. And it, it it's now like, okay, how do I get a dumb phone? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm done with a smartphone. Like, how do I leave the metaverse? I've had enough. <laughs> well, yeah. you and I were on our date the other, like, last weekend or whatever, and we were trying to figure out how to silence pretty much all the notifications and things coming in so that we could just hang out with each other. And, like, Apple makes it so darn complicated. I remember sitting there just being like, what's the point of do not disturb if you could actually still let calls through? Like, that's the whole point. I don't want to receive calls. <laughs> Yeah, I do like they have the feature you can let specific people through. So yeah, if you know you're like going to get like an emergency. Them, it lets but, everything come through. So yeah. if you're like, I only want an emergency phone call. But they're like, well, it might be an emergency text too. So I'll just let like all 300 of your family texts come through because they're on your emergency call list. And you're like, no, why? How is this happening? I don't understand why we have like uh, phones at all in the sense of like SIM cards and everything. Like why we use the sort of telephone infrastructure considering we all have data plans. Yeah. And if we were all moving towards a, you know, we just had data plans, 
you would have better software that could handle like actually coming up with these more uh, useful communication techniques. Maybe Bitcoin will fix this. Maybe. You, you brought someone so bearish on the, on Maybe, the show. Yeah. Sorry for... Oh, I'm sorry. Bitcoin will definitely fix this. Yes, yes thank yes. you. It's there only, we go. It's, it, the, yeah. the question is how long will it take? Yeah, I just have to sit on the floor for a few more years and it'll it'll get figured out. Yes, exactly. You still have a little bit of fiat, right? <laughs> on the, uh, further on the topic of artworks, it's, first of all, it's funny. You, you listen to podcasts and it's amazing how many advertisements uh, on podcasts, like what percentage of them has to do with various investment schemes. It's always something like a robo-advisor kind of thing or you know something that's going to help your wealth. Everyone mm -hmm. is constantly chasing. And I, it's got to be a huge thing considering literally every podcast has advertisements for stuff like this. Uh, but there's specifically ones, uh, there's ones, I think it's called Masterworks. Mm -hmm. The idea is like you're, you're buying stock in some famous painting um, and that, that has the same exact feeling as NFTs because it's like, yeah, or I can just go on Wikipedia and they have a really beautiful high res scan of the same painting and I can just look at it and be happy. Yeah. And then they're like, well, you know, you can, these go up in value 8% a year. Yeah. <laughs> so, therefore you should invest in art. And it's like, well, maybe you want to invest because it, 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 it uh, you know, conveys truth and beauty. That's kind not on the agenda. Yeah. No. <laughs> kind of reminds me. Remember, we were at the when we were in the Louvre, and um, we were just looking, admiring the artwork. But everywhere you went, everyone had their like their phone up in the air, taking photos of all of the pictures that were at the Louvre, and to the point where like people who just wanted to go and observe and enjoy the artwork couldn't see the artwork because there were so many people taking pictures of the artwork, and meanwhile their photo could not have been better than let's say just googling the picture. Yeah, a professionally scanned. Yeah picture of it yeah i, I the, the one benefit of this though is over time um when i went on a trip i no longer felt like i even needed to take a camera i mean obviously i have my phone now but i have no feeling mm -hmm. like oh i need to take my phone out because it's like eh, someone else took a much better picture if i want to show people you know this really cool building i'm gonna someone else took an even better picture that's going to convey the 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 image that i'm thinking i'm conveying to them and so i can just be more in the moment um but it when it, you, you're surrounded by people who are engaged in that process, it's mm -hmm. uh, not not quite as uh, quite as nice. Um, and meanwhile, they can't actually explain to me. It was like, well, what is the why is that Basquiat worth that many millions of dollars? Right. And what is the meaning of it? Heroin. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, our artwork has become a store value, and. Um, it's it's strange how it's transferring into like I really think that crypto and it's funny uh, there was uh, the the cover of Times is like Vitalik and he created this world and now he's like worried about it and is trying to fix it and I'm on one level I'm like well he didn't create it I mean you know we should give credit to Satoshi and then I'm like no 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 no. They're talking about crypto. They're not talking about Bitcoin. So yes, Vitalik did create. I mean, he, you know, if we're gonna give credit where credit is due, <laughs> or blame where blame lays, it is uh, Vitalik. Uh, and um, yeah, he, he the you know the crypto world is horribly broken and is far closer or perhaps further away from Bitcoin uh, than fiat is. Uh, and and so. Uh, 
the the art world investment ideology entering into crypto seems like a natural fit. I mean, crypto is like this um, funhouse mirror of the fiat system. And then Bitcoin's like, I don't go into mirror houses or whatever they're called. Yeah, <laughs> late stage fiat. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Hyper fiatization. The art thing, though, to me does feel like crypto's way of getting a whole other group of people into crypto. So that's the silver lining. Yeah. In terms of like, these people are learning about private keys mm -hmm. because then they're, <laughs> they're, 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 I actually, I've never, I've <laughs> yeah. never like, touched any of the nfts so i don't even know do people actually even interface with any keys they do they do because um they'll they, they'll store it in metamask and then it'll get hacked okay. and they'll be yeah. trying to figure out what happened and then they learn about seeds and how, you shouldn't how do type i it not in get and, hacked yeah i mean it's all about learning these people they need to learn everything the hardest way possible like Normal people like us, we <laughs> normal. Yeah, we can just like noted the podcast yeah. for normies. Yep. Yeah, we're we're normies now. They're the weirdest. I mean, we can just lurk on uh, Reddit, lurk on Twitter. You know, this is definitely what normal people do. Yeah, and <laughs> and listen to the smart people like Rodolfo. You know, who are telling you here's why uh, cold card is secure, etc. Um, and that way we can learn the easy way by, and then, but also, okay. And then you've got these people who they need to learn everything the hardest way possible. So they need to learn about like the 21 million Bitcoin limit. They need to learn that the hard way by seeing all of their other belongings go to zero in, in SATS terms. Uh, they, they need to learn about private key security by having everything stolen from them. And uh, they need to learn about the block size limit uh, by not being able to run a node. <laughs> um, and, you know, I guess for us, it's like, because on a, all these things, they've been warned amply. And then they turned around and said, hey, stop being toxic. Let us experiment. And it's like, all right. I think you're like it. describing the difference between an open and a closed mind, right? When somebody has a closed mind and they have their mind made up about something, then they're much more likely to go down the hole that takes them to the place where they end up losing everything and learning the hard way rather than somebody who has an open mind, right? They're able to, let's say, lurk on Twitter or lurk on Reddit, read things, learn something before they then go and put money into it. I, I was told we were the uh, closed-minded people. Yeah, I was as well. So I don't. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm way off base then. Yeah, it's like uh, <laughs> this is the the closed-minded group. If you do, if you perform due diligence and you actually do your own research, that's very closed-minded. In order to be <laughs> open-minded, you just have to blindly trust everything that's going on around you. Right. Yes, that makes sense. Yes, mm -hmm. and just let people's marketing pour into your head and take it as truth. <laughs> hey, they have a nice website. Oh, yeah. 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 The website's key for sure. You got to pay a lot of money for your website. OpenSea has high quality reactives. I don't doubt it. And then you download Bitcoin Core and you're like, oh, this is kind of, this is very open source, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I forget who I heard telling you that we need more marketing in Bitcoin. Yeah. That's the thing that comes it's up like, all the comes time. comes up all the time. Yeah. yeah. On the one hand, I could see it. But on the other hand, it's, I don't know, there's something kind of grassroots and, and, cool about the way Bitcoin has done it and that it hasn't really needed a whole lot of marketing. And as you put it to me one time that all press is good press. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think marketing is, is good for, you know, short term pumping, but Bitcoin is a long term project. Yeah. 
And um, it's far like I, I still think, you know, in some ways it's too early to have mass adoption. Like the technology is barely ready for it. Um, we, you know, we don't even have music too in production. So uh, how can if we it comes? Be? We'll make do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it would be nice to actually have more time to, to build out this stuff. Yeah, I, I think it's it's growing either slightly too quickly or just the right speed. Um, but, you know. Uh, th- to say that, hey, it needs to grow faster. I don't know. I, don't I, th- know. I think that's a general problem that's existed in in sort of Bitcoin space. And it's also caused people to want to uh, run off to other coins. Like, you know, Roger Ver's, you know, he, he was saying back when he split off how, um, oh, Bitcoin would be at 100,000 if only not for... Um, Blockstream. Block, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was that was back then, not, not like now yeah. where uh, we, we're still got our laser eyes on waiting for 100k um but people basically they they discount this need for just time like time needs to happen things yeah. have to have to grow patience is definitely a, it's not a fiat thing i mean if you think about fiat though right you can't have patience with fiat it's the opposite of fiat is having patience if you have patience with your fiat your money turns into nothing that's right it teaches you the wrong lesson mm-hmm um, so if you come into Bitcoin with a fiat mentality, which most of us do, right, because we lived in a fiat world. So it takes a while to adjust to a Bitcoin mentality. And if you don't adjust, then, yeah, of course, you're going to wander off into other projects or trying to change Bitcoin in some way or another because it's hard to be patient. Yeah, all, all these other projects are higher time preference than Bitcoin is. I have not seen a single project. And again, I'm very open minded. But every time I look at or every time I listen to their marketing, I never hear them talk about how we're focused on the long term more than Bitcoin is. I, I haven't heard that marketing angle yet. Uh, so to <laughs> go any, with like ultrasound money um, and then like, you know, butcher but, what it even means to be sound money. But that's like the best they can do as but far even, as like, even that is high time preference yeah. because they're trying to pump it now. Well, that's marketing's right. job, though, too, right? Marketing is a short-term, like, you yeah. run a campaign for a certain period of time. It's a short-term thing. It's also, of course, a performative contradiction, but because the very act of changing Ethereum into a, quote, ultrasound money displays that it's not a sound money. Yeah, and even, like, if if we look at concretely what they're talking about with sound money, okay, one is the transaction fee burning instead of paying the miners, and there to me that's that's like a super short-term hack where um you are uh creating incentives that are pitting the users of the system against the price speculators basically where you're going to extract value from the users in order to do a share buyback essentially is the equivalent um and like bitcoin and if you talk to bitcoin uh protocol developers like they care about the users they don't care at all about the price speculators. Like, uh, Peter Willey is not interested in pumping your bags remotely. He might not even know the Bitcoin price. <laughs> you know, like, that's uh, th- that's the uh, it's mentality. It's not written in the blockchain, so... Right, it's external to the system, and they look at the system Peter from... lives in Bitcoin. You know, people running a node, actually sending transactions, and um, that that's what matters. Um, and then in terms of modifying their monetary policy for transaction finality. Uh, so this is something I've been thinking about a lot is. Well, it's funny how on the one hand, like, uh, oh, there's not a big enough security budget in Bitcoin, which you've harped on a lot. But then on the other hand, you have like the Ethereum. It's like 
what you're saying is like just burn all the transaction fees. So like wh what do the miners get for the reward? Yes. Now, obviously in a proof of stake world, it's slightly different, but not really. Uh, and th the other thing is that um, if they really believed in their ideology of uh, we're going to minimize issuance so that um, we're like uh, on the just on the threshold of getting double spends, um, I haven't heard of any Ethereum double spends recently. So I still think their issuance is too high and that they need to reduce their issuance. Right now they're, they're over issuing per their ideology, which I, I disagree with. So, um, but I mean, same thing with in Bitcoin, right? Like Bitcoin issuance right now is, is too high, but um, nobody in Bitcoin is seriously suggesting that we soft fork the block reward to be lower. Although I've heard, you know, heard some people. Yeah, I think just, the, the people who say that are just people who are trying to troll yeah, stock to flow proponents because yeah, they, um, they miss what that means, but that's another story. But yeah, I mean, I think that what, like what my view now is that the issuance is purely about getting units onto the ledger. Mm -hmm. It has nothing to do about, rewarding miners paying for security paying for transaction finality it's like two orthogonal things and uh there had to be a way of putting units on the ledger that did not create seniorage and the only way to do that is with proof of work which also happens to be the only way to have a decentralized clock and so proof of work like solved two problems uh, at the same time but people conflate the problems and then they conflate right. the solution. Yeah, because of course you wouldn't want to just show up with 21 million coins at the beginning and hand it out to your friends because then you have Ripple. Yeah. Um, so Satoshi was smart enough to want to like do it over time. And you're pointing out how if you do it based on, well, you have these people who are doing mining and they're already based on the system going to receive transaction fees. How about they also kind of get some of that issuance schedule? It is kind of the the best of uh, the worst possibilities. So yeah. And the, the my, my conclusion, yeah. when I read the ethics of money production, you know, way back in like 2013, I closed it. And my, my first reaction is like, oh, this is why we Bitcoin. It, it just, you know, validated all my, all my beliefs about Bitcoin. Uh, but the other feeling I had was that, you know, actually producing money is inherently bad. Like there's nothing good about uh, producing more money. Um, however, uh, to your point, we do have to get those initial units out somehow. And so this is the best of all the worst possibilities. It's like, you know, what, what Churchill said about democracy or whatever, um, how it's like the, the, the best of the worst forms of government. Yeah, and, and the, with Bitcoin, because of the mining part, the marginal cost equals marginal revenue for adding the units to the ledger. So it's not like the miners are like, uh, central bank printing money out of thin air. Mm -hmm. uh, they have real costs that they have yeah. to put in electricity, mining rigs. I'm looking at a mining rig right now. It's beautiful. It's, it's decommissioned though. Um, and, and hosting and all of that. So um, that's where then in terms of the transaction fees, um, there's this view that developed you know, and it's not unique to Ethereum. I've heard like Greg Maxwell talk about it. It's a view that I used to have which is that we need high transaction fees on Bitcoin and that that's how we will have transaction finality. And that's how we keep the cost of censoring too high. And now I've evolved to, it's not the cost of censoring that we want to be high. It's the cost of uncensoring that we want to be low. 
Um, and so if somebody is censoring your transaction, you want it to be very easy to bid up that transaction fee to incentivize other miners to come and pick it up. Um, and that's the beauty of Bitcoin. And that's the anti-fragility. It's, it's not that you make it super strong from the outset. It's that if people attack it, it gets stronger and it gets strong commensurate with the level of attack. Yeah, you know, I think back to those old, you know, debates and um, I think like in hindsight, like hard forking is a very difficult thing to pull off. And I don't, I generally think that a, unless there's a, an ex existential threat, a hard fork is going to kind of be inherently on the losing side. And even if there is an existential threat, I I have this gut feeling that it wouldn't even actually win out until the existential threat actually killed the other one. Uh, because if you have hard forks, you've reduced the certainty of Bitcoin. And as we were talking about earlier, the whole value of good cash, good money, uh, et cetera, is because you've reduced that uncertainty. So having hard forks uh, is, is kind of a big no-no, except in these extreme circumstances. And even then, it's only an, an uh, it's only like okay once it's actually come to fruition. Like it, it's, it becomes a necessity. With that all being said, I think you know you kind of made I think the the strongest economic economic arguments with transaction fees way back in the day when you were talking to Gavin Andreessen, and uh, it always stuck with me, which was basically uh, people underestimated the price uh, elast uh, sorry inelasticity of. Bitcoin transactions. So there was this problem where people just assumed that people weren't going to be willing to pay transaction fees. Now, that's different from saying that transaction fees ought to be high. And I think you're basically saying that you, you took the route of, yeah, like, actually, yes, transaction fees should just be high. But the bigger point is that given that we don't like hard forking, and given the fact that people actually empirically are willing to pay high transaction fees, stop worrying so much. That's right. Because there's there's two reasons you you pay high transaction fees. Either you're getting censored and you're bidding up your transaction, which in practice I've never heard anyone having this use case for transaction fees. Uh, you know, maybe that'll happen in the future when Russia Russia will need to uh, pay for something. Right. Um, but uh, then in terms of network congestion of the mempool backlog uh, in people competing to be in the next block because of the block size limit. That's the other source of transaction fees going up. And the reason that is really important is because it sends a signal to the developers to work on scaling, but real scaling, not raising the block size limit. Although with Segwit, arguably, you know, that's what yeah, they yeah, did. Yeah. Um, but uh, with it more efficiently using the resources of, of the node and then having overlay networks like Lightning, like Liquid, um, and that is the um, purpose of transaction fees uh, is, is for that. Yeah. Uh, ideally, we'd I mean, even back then, I always wished that we had a system where all transaction fees were like a penny or whatever. Right. Wouldn't and, that be wonderful? Uh, the problem is like we do have a scarcity of block space thanks to Satoshi and probably thanks to the necessities of keeping a network decentralized. But in any case, maybe the maybe the block size would have been radically different had it not been Satoshi just kind of unilaterally imposing that in 2010. Yeah, and um, it's interesting. I was listening to a podcast with Pete Rizzo, uh, 
Uh, and um, yeah, this was the uh, What Bitcoin Did podcast uh, with uh, Peter McCormack and Pete Rizzo. Uh, <laughs> it's like, it wasn't the one with us, was it? No, no. So it was listening to our podcast. I do do that, though. I do. <laughs> definitely do, do I listen to myself because I am very vain. Um, and you know, I thought you were listening to yourself to see how you could improve. No, oh, okay. I, I listen to myself to learn. <laughs> you should hire her for PR. Yes. That's some, that's some high quality spin. Yes, we can spin it that way, I mm -hmm. guess. Um, and Pete was talking about how, yeah, when Satoshi left, he did a bunch of little, uh, you know, they would essentially be soft forks, but like hardening, you know, like the block size limit. And yeah, he just pulled that number out of thin air. Um, it's just a round number, a million. A million bytes is actually less than a megabyte. Am I right? Computer scientist? Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's funny. <laughs> uh, yes. Putting, putting me on the spot. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, th this is going back to Computer Science 101, which is like a decade ago for you. <laughs> uh, well, it's like, you know, there's there's other things too. It's like yeah. if I've talked about, you know, Austrian economics for so much and then someone has like a, some really basic question, I have to actually sit and like think back because I haven't even thought about that in so long. It's just been a part of the way I live. Yeah. Um, um, sorry to sidetrack here, but um, yeah, so I actually think that transaction fees are going to be pennies um, because basically the scaling technology um, is going to far surpass demand. And I think that we're essentially already there. Like if, if we, and, and there's still going to be volatility in transaction fees, but compared to like December 2017, you know, if we look at sats per byte, it, the last run-up was way lower. And so I think that the volatility is going to attenuate because with Lightning, you can open channels when fees are low, send payments when fees are high off-chain, and then close the channel when transaction fees are low again. And so that intertemporal arbitrage means that um, we're, it's going to take a very long time of mass Lightning adoption to cause on-chain transaction fees to go up. And even if we do that there's still going to be like other scaling improvements, whether it's with taproot or with channel factories, et cetera. Coin pool. I don't know if you've coin pool came out recently. It's really interesting, but um, to add yeah. to the transaction fee conversation, I, I, there is definitely willingness to pay for transactions. Uh, we can see that very clearly in the fiat world today. Somebody wants money to be somewhere same day. They will pay for a wire. Um, Personally, I think sending a wire is one of the more difficult aspects of the fiat world, but it is done and it is done on a daily basis and people do pay money for those things. Um, people are paying somewhere between 2.85 and 3.5% on their um, Visa card transactions or any um, any card basically that gets swiped. A business owner is going to pay that. Um, so and you're, you're paying for it in the price mm -hmm. of the good that you're yeah, paying. So and it's people, like it's passed on to exactly. you. Exactly. Anyway. You think, oh, my credit card points, right? But meanwhile, actually, it's a source of inflation as a result because, right, a business owner still has to make money and they have to figure out a way to cover the fact that they now have to pay these 3% transaction fees. Um, there, I mean, trading fees, let's say if you think of a platform like Robinhood versus where if you'd gone to Fidelity maybe 10 years ago, you used to pay to buy a stock. Now you don't do that anymore, but that doesn't mean that you're not paying for it. It's just embedded somewhere where you don't see it. So I think one of the problems with free is that when you don't see it, it's somewhere. Um, and so I think that that's one of the nice things about Bitcoin is that it's transparent about its transaction fees and you always know what is being charged and why it's being charged. And you know exactly where it's going. Yep. 
um, I, I think I, I used to make a, a point similar to that, although I was pointing out that it was it was cheaper than credit cards at the time because people were still people at the time were acting like it was more expensive than it actually was, which I kind of it still happens today. This is actually it's pretty much what we're, we're talking about. Um, but yeah, you know, the, I was thinking as you were saying that if you're paying, you know, I, I don't know what what the trading fees are. I don't I don't engage in, in fiat uh, finance, so I, I don't know I don't know what those Shots people fired. I don't know what those people are up to over there. But free you know, ETF trading. I'm just imagining you know one percent <laughs> trading fees. No, but, they've come down to the so basically at this point, if you're buying a stock or an ETF, you can you can pay zero. That said, though, there's a spread that they charge, right? So like when you go on there. Yeah, there's a bid ask spread of maybe one penny of mm-hmm. like where you can buy, where you can sell, but that doesn't necessarily mean if you execute a market order that you'll actually get that price that you see on the screen. Yeah. They're usually picking up some stuff there, um, and or some of these custodians are charging on the back end in some other way by doing lending or other things. Which I mean, that's kind of where fractional bank uh, reserve banking went to, right? Is like, okay, I don't pay a fee now to my bank to hold my money, but instead they're lending it out ten or twenty five fold. Um, and possibly making risky investments whereupon I can lose all of my cash. So I think it's like important to be wary about the no fee thing. Yeah, it's just making me think like, you know, ultimately costs are coming into all of this investment and that just further adds to inflation the baseline that you have to beat just to be better off today than you were yesterday. Yeah. And that's insane. And instead, you can literally just go buy a Bitcoin, you pay one transaction fee to put things into deep cold storage never to touch again and you're good to go so like even even if you know this is an argument i used to have back in the day is like even if a transaction fee is in dollar terms fifty dollars and that seems high to people it's like you're paying fifty dollars to put things into life savings and done forever yeah it's just that's actually a, a really amazing deal um a one of the best deals. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we make a deal. Um, yeah. And, you know, it, since 2017, we've had incredible uh, scalability moves. You know, we, we've seen transaction batching, way more of that now. And obviously the rise of SegWit. And people are just better at spending Bitcoins now. Um, in fact, pretty much everything about Bitcoin is better than it was in 2013. It actually gets better every day we 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 handle keys better you know i don't think i don't think people understand how bad key management was um back in in the old days it, it was a uh, unencrypted file on your hard drive was bitcoin core originally <laughs> yeah and it would just it would be it, it, there wasn't HD wallets. So yeah. it was all, it would, every time you wanted a new address, it would literally generate a new independent private key. And so you had to back up every single one. So if you received a thousand payments or something, you had a thousand separate keys that you had to uh, keep track of. And so you have to save that in a wallet.dat file. And um, I guess you could have a paper wallet and you could write down the actual seed, but then you're going to need every seed that you want that for. And uh, paper wallets are very scary when you try to actually move money out of it, um, assuming that you made the paper wallet well enough to actually withstand the elements needed because many people don't understand the concept of change. And so when they sweep the wallet or spend a portion of it, the rest of that could go into transaction fees because they forgot to actually... Uh, designate that the rest of it needs to go somewhere because the paper wallet itself has no wallet interface to be doing these computations for you. Um, 
the price was lower, so Bitcoin had less liquidity, so it was literally less useful as a currency. Um, and the, the higher Bitcoin's price is, the literally better it is as a currency. That's definitely something to cop for. Yes. Um, pump that price up. Yes, NGU. <laughs> but, you know, things are just better. And I think that was a, a massive step forward just to see now that so far, I mean, we had we had quite the price run up, um, you know, in, in 2020 and 2021. And uh, there never felt like that kind of congestion that we were facing because people learned how to use Bitcoin better. And um, I remember when I was first using Bitcoin. We, we was, built back better. We built back better. <laughs> I was always disappointed by how slow Bitcoin is, uh, you know, because it's like, you can load a website instantly. Why can't I send money instantly? Um, and when Lightning fixed that and I sent my first Lightning payment, I was like, yes, this is what I was hoping for. Um, not sitting around in the mempool, but actually having instant transaction finality. So that to me is like, it. you know, it sounds like going from waiting an hour to instant is not that big of a difference. But it's as big of a difference as going from like three days to one hour. Oh, totally. It's a huge difference. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's the difference between what people are always complaining about. Well, I can't go to the coffee shop and buy you know, any coffee with Bitcoin because they'll have to wait an hour for my transaction to confirm. I mean, there's a huge difference, a point of sale at least. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of bringing back the certain dreams of 2013. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that those... It's, it, it, you know, it's always the case in my mind that um, the medium of exchange, unit of account, store of value, uh, that these are just um, different views on the same concept of money. The, like the, the, the Trinity? Yeah, it's the, not the holy Trinity, I, but it is the monetary Trinity. <laughs> um, uh, not to be confused with the trilemma, which is a different issue with regards to international monetary economics, but um, the... Uh, the let's call it Roger's dream. Uh, I you know I subscribe to that. Like I do want to be able to use Lightning uh, at checkout, whether it's online or in person. Um, it's just that that's going to take longer, even because it, in in my mind, the only reason a business would rationally adopt Bitcoin payments at the point of sale is if the owner of that business wants to accumulate Bitcoin, mm -hmm. that they're bullish on Bitcoin, they think it's great, and this is a cheap way for them to accumulate so that they don't have to go pay fees to an exchange. And it also assumes that their business can maintain a high level of cash flow while still saving, right, like using Bitcoin as their savings versus using, you know, using their fiat as how they maintain their business cash flow. Yeah, and maybe he sells half of it for fiat mm -hmm. um, and, and retains half of it. Um, and also, you know, it is a Bitcoiner and so like wants to, yep. has kind of the ideological bend to it because, you know, just accepting fiat and then going to an exchange and buying it, uh, is a lot more convenient than training your minimum wage workers on how to, uh, troubleshoot lightning channels. Um, <laughs> I don't, <I> don't want to, <laughs> I'm kind of caricaturing it here, but, um, it, it is like until lightning has really reliable autopilot and, um, there's just more enterprise-grade features and all of this. Um, I, I, it's very early days. I think so, too. I mean, just think about, if you think about the difference between how Bitcoin is discussed in the media today versus how it was discussed, let's say, in 2013. Um, like, I don't know if you remember this, but there's a, there was a, 
a guy who was on Bloomberg, I forget his name, and he literally showed his private key on the TV and his Bitcoin got stolen in 2013. And like, that's just that. not, and thankfully it was like a nice Bitcoiner who like helped him and sent his Bitcoin back. But, um, but I mean, it's just like, I think that there's a huge difference between like the lack of, I mean, the, the true lack of knowledge of what was going on in 2013 versus all of the really smart people who are involved now and how it's discussed in the media today. So I got got on, on Twitter, someone uh, posted, hey, I just got my new hardware wallet. And then they also had their, their seed phrase back up uh, right there. Oh, no. And so I start reading it and it's a Rickroll. Oh, yeah. I was like, oh, he just <laughs> he just Rickrolled me in, in the easiest way imaginable. Was, there was actually an evening I, I was I, I happened to look at Twitter and I saw someone paste a picture. They, they had a uh, they were working on some kind of like QR code based backup thing. The yeah. QR code had the seed, but it was like a, you know, kind of distorted photo. You couldn't totally see the QR code, but I realized like, well, you could theoretically get it. So I actually spent a bit of time to like recover the seed just to see like, did this person accidentally uh, leave some money out? And I've, I would have, you know, helped them out if they did, but it would have also been a fun story. But it turned out that it was a, thankfully, it was a completely fake seed. It was invalid. It was just seed mm. words. But yeah. people have to be careful. I mean, that's that's what... People do. They uh, people want money, <laughs> and they will do what they can to get money. And that's why you need to create seizure-resistant currency. But you also have to uh, respect what it takes to be actually seizure-resistant. Yeah, don't flash your private key. Mm -hmm. um, Resist temptation to put your Bitcoin down on your uh, financial statement when you're trying to apply for a new home or apartment or something of the like, where they're asking for all of your financials. Yeah, that's that's tough for folks. I mean, everyone mm. wants to like uh, look better on paper. Look better on paper. <laughs> um, I, I think though it, it goes back to like like people will be like, oh, how do I um, borrow against my? No offense to Unchained or anything, but borrow <laughs> against my Bitcoin to um, buy a house, and uh, I want to buy like a really nice house, so I need to put up lots of Bitcoins collateral. It's like, why don't you get like a ninety thousand dollar, you know mobile home and not do that they're on back order that's why yeah <laughs> supply chain problems you're gonna have to take right. out a loan to get the uh <laughs> probably going up in price but uh, yeah no i mean i think honestly i, I hate to say this because we're literally in unchained building but a lot usually the answer is that you sell your bitcoin i mean there's there are a lot of reasons why you may or may not want to lend against it. One of it being sort of the novelty of it and borrow against it. You yeah, just, I'm sorry. You just I made the same mistake. That. That I you made the made same mistake I made episode. last time. Sorry, borrow yeah. against it. Yeah. I guess because I'm I like I want to lend. I don't want to borrow. Yeah, yeah. You've got <laughs> the the banker mindset. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, there are many reasons why somebody might want to borrow against it. But I think that in a lot of circumstances, ninety nine percent of circumstances, it doesn't make sense. And it actually does make more sense to. I think I think ninety nine percent overstates it. And since okay. we're at a, yeah. think we should honestly say that for short term liquidity. Yeah, short term liquidity is such a great reason to borrow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When you have a cash flow mismatch, it's like the number one reason to do it. Yeah. When you're like trying to buy a consumption asset, like your home, thirty year. Mortgage, the, yeah, you know. it just doesn't make sense. Anyway, are we done trashing the house? Yeah, but we love Unchained. And in yes. fact, I think that their product's fantastic and I Great send team. clients there all the time. Yep, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Very, very good custodial solution or non custodial. Non custodial. Custody. I, ugh. It's <laughs> just lending. Yeah. Borrowing. Yeah, holding. I mean, even just like holding a multi sig. Um, 
But I, I, I am really upset about the uh, language landscape right now of self-hosted wallets, non-custodial wallets, custodial wallets. Like, there needs to be a semantic cleanup. Uh, I, I don't know. Do you have any to... suggestions? I don't even know what a self-hosted wallet is. Uh, that's that's what the uh, the the bureaucrats uh, are, are esteemed bureaucrats uh, refer to uh, cold cards. Basically. Oh, okay. So it's like, yeah, what you what you want to get to essentially. Yeah, and I, I think it should be called I think uh, it's just a wallet, and then yes. you have third-party wallets. No. Oh, oh my goodness! <laughs> no, stop. <laughs> It, there, there are wallets and there are accounts. Mm. You can have an account at an exchange, at a bank. Mm-hmm. Of course, an account is custodial. And then you have wallets. The wallet is what you have in your back pocket. Yeah. You know, like your wallet is, is your, under your physical control. Um, and uh, I think it should be that, that simple. But um, I think that's great. It, yeah, I, I so wish. So what's the difference between non-custodial wallet and self-hosted wallet? None. Oh, okay. It, it depends on, on which bureaucrat is talking. Yeah, the, the fat F people love the uh, self-hosted terminology. I don't know. Because it makes you sound like you're a drug dealer or something? I, I, I guess. I don't know. So. I like self-hosted yeah, software. Yeah, self-hosted so kind of actually... sounds good. I don't know. Yeah, I think it sounds complicated. I think that they, they're trying to make it sound difficult, perhaps. Yeah, so. like it's super hard to, to go and set up your own thing. And uh, that the default is that it should, like, it's hosted. It's I very see. easy. Yeah. And getting easier. I yeah. think just hosted is kind of the not the right word, though. It's yeah. kind of it's like how we were having a conversation about mining, and I didn't understand when, when people kept talking about hosting, and I didn't realize that that literally meant where you put the miner. Yeah. Because to to me, hosting is like, I don't know what Amazon Web Services does. Right. Right. Yeah. It's like why would you need a server for your miner? Yeah. It does, <laughs> I was like, do I not understand what mining is? I feel like I've been through this, but I guess yeah. maybe I just don't know. Like, so, <laughs> Bitcoin is full of words that are just not very good because there's so much conflated. So the word Bitcoin itself, yeah. you know, refers Terrible. to 10 different things. Wallets. Coinbase. To, yeah. All these different things. Mining is one of these where I think, <laughs> I think it, it just like it clearly like it's, it's, it's meant to sort of uh, be analogous to mining for metals. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does create this weird because people also think it's like, Oh, well what happens when you mine all the Bitcoins? Yeah. And so the, the thought in people's heads is that the mining process is you're mining for Bitcoins. Whereas mining is you're not mining for Bitcoins. Bitcoins is what you get as a reward for doing the mining mm-hmm. in the same way. It's like you aren't, you are mining for gold in the sense that you're uh, pulling gold out of the ground, but you're you're what when you're saying mining for bitcoins, what that actually is is once you have the gold out of the ground and you take it to market and you receive a payment for it, that's that. What you're actually mining for is proof of work. You're mining for a shot to fifty six hash. Yeah, you're 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 hashing. You are timekeeping. Uh, I think would we should be we should replace mining with timekeeping. Yeah, and I don't that, think it, people would go for that. I got to be honest. No, timekeeping sounds like. Um, I don't know. I, maybe I'm just putting myself in here as like a mom being mm-hmm. like, come on, we got to get out of here. Notarizing. No, that's what that's what we do every 10 minutes. We need a block. <laughs> okay, get your shoes on. Let's go. Yeah, I, I think that's right. That's it right. kind of is maybe in the sense time. of like the difficulty adjustment is like, see, you were, you were too late. We need to uh, <laughs> fix what, what happens in 10 minutes. Yeah. Um, and then you get like the eye roll. Oh, mom, why are you rushing me? <laughs> and then you have another difficulty <sighs> adjustment. Yep, there you go. Yeah. 
You know, you know, children need attitude adjustments and the Bitcoin network needs a difficulty adjustment. If only it were so simple as uh, <laughs> just changing that, that uh, the bits. Yeah, but basically like, you know, that was an aha moment for me when I was like, oh, the mining is actually for the hash. Yeah. And you're getting rewarded for finding the hash. And that's why you never finish. Mi mining does not end when there are no more Bitcoins to issue. It just means that you won't be rewarded in the same way. Well, and this is a question I, I get sometimes is, um, what if everyone's using Lightning and there's no on-chain transactions, so there's no transaction fees and there's no um, block subsidy, you know, we're in 2140. And so wouldn't there be no mining and wouldn't the Bitcoin network grind to a halt? And my first reaction is, why would that be a problem if nobody wants to use Bitcoin why, or wants to use the blockchain anymore? So be it. We'll just use the Lightning Network and that's okay. But also, it's just never going to happen because you need to close channels, reopen channels for any number of different reasons. What it means is you've solved all trust issues in the world and so you don't need the blockchain, the base layer anymore anyway, which is absurd. It's yeah. like as soon as, even if it's kind of, quote, ground to a halt in the sense of like no one's mined a block, um, as soon as someone does decide, it's like, I, I don't trust you anymore or, you know, some reason to want to close a channel and they want to close a the channel, they put out a transaction and if they include a high enough fee to bring someone in to produce, to look for a hash that's difficult enough, it will be mined and the, the blockchain goes on. That that blockchain yeah. exists. It all exists because you need to, uh, you know, have that, that censorship resistance and that's it. And as much as needed. Exactly right. Um, yeah. Morgan, mm -hmm. we've had you on before, actually. You're I have second, been on before. Second time. I don't yeah. remember how many, how many annual episodes ago that was. <laughs> it's been a while, yeah. It's, I think we been... still lived in Brooklyn. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that's right. Yeah. Um, so you definitely didn't have a book. And question for you. You know, yeah. you are our guest today. And uh, <laughs> yeah, sorry, oh, we, we're not really uh, doing a great job of interviewing the guest, huh? Oh, no, <laughs> I didn't expect to be interviewed today. No, honestly. you're being yeah. interviewed now. You're okay, in the now hot seat. I'm, the hot I'm, I'm putting you in the hot seat now. So okay. I'm curious. Um, it's been a long time since that episode. But I mm -hmm. know, you know, there is this this funny juxtaposition of you the serious financial planner and us <laughs> the like Buffins, sell the your chairs trolls. and buy bitcoins guys i don't know i feel like i've i used to be a serious financial planner i feel like the more i hang out with uh with pierre over here the more trolly i become it's like it's like there's like a troll osmosis happening in our house <laughs> my question for you is basically like how how has your um perspective on bitcoin changed from a financial planner uh, perspective over the years like yeah that's actually a really good be, question yeah you used to be kind of like not you weren't you were totally bullish but you weren't as Bull necessarily bull. aggressive on hey yeah stack a lot of sets it was like make it a part of your portfolio so yeah so i think in the early days when i was still first learning about bitcoin it was easy for me to go all in because of my economic austrian leaning background and my libertarian background so like i had an easier time understanding why something like this would be Part of your total financial plan. And I had some reservations, though, about including that in client plans because I thought that it would be possible that they might think I was a little crazy. 
Um, <laughs> and I think that there's there's something there's a difference between me eight years ago starting my business and me now eight years in where I've got employees. I have um, I have you know great clients that I work with, um, and I'm and I'm you know I'm way more established. And over that eight period year of time, um, Bitcoin has gone from I mean what we've been talking about in 2013 to what it is today. There's been a huge change in how Bitcoin is perceived, what's gone on with the network, um, lightning being added, um, seeing all coins come and go, some burning up in giant flames, others sort of sticking around despite them having intense problems, Ethereum comes to mind. Um, and being able to foster conversations with clients about these things over time has given me a lot more confidence um, in, in just talking about it with clients for sure, but also... I think there was like a pivotal moment where inflation really started to pick up um, and where things started to change. Uh, it was especially during like when the pandemic first started um, and we use that term loosely, obviously, but scamdemic. Yeah. But when it first started and like, you know, prices uh, dropped or whatever and, and it, Bitcoin included, right? Everything, everybody sort of ran for the hills. And that was sort of like that was a, a moment in my mind where like, OK, long term savings is actually really important. Emergency funds are something that we talk about with clients all the time. We don't really talk about long-term savings, though, because long-term savings isn't a thing. And then um, as things started to evolve and prices started to pick up, just feeling like, okay, this is really this is really important. This isn't just me being on sort of a libertarian soapbox now. This is actually something that like is it has been around, is well-established, and is something that clients need to have in their portfolios. Interesting. Sorry, that was kind of a really long way of answering no, that question. A, that's yeah. great. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad that your clients are being taken care of. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think it did help too that like also because I, I did write a book in 2020. Um, it's the, as Pierre pointed out, the um, personal finance quick start guide. So feel free to get your copy if you'd like to have one. There is a little, little couple of pages about Bitcoin in there. And I think that you can sort of take it as you may. If you're a Bitcoiner listening to this, you probably think that fiat is trash and that there's no value in financial planning. Um, and that's just simply not true, right? J just because you remove fiat assets doesn't remove sort of the basis of why we do financial planning, which is that you're a human being and you have needs and you have goals and aspirations. And there are things that you want for yourself or your family or for your friends. And in order to do those things, you need money. Um, and you generally need to plan ahead if you want to actually have like large good things happen to your, for you in your life. So um, that part of financial planning doesn't go away, right? Like maybe how we look at, you know, stocks and bonds and allocation and all that stuff. Yeah, maybe that stuff goes away or maybe it looks different because you've got Bitcoin denominated securities or whatever in your portfolio now. Um, but all the other basis of financial planning, they they don't go away. And we still do live in a fiat world. And if you want to be accumulating Bitcoin, then you need to play by fiat rules in order to create savings and accumulate. Yeah, I think it's a great book. I think uh, Bitcoiners should definitely um, read it, even if like maybe they don't like a particular section because Bitcoin has led them to not caring about that. But I do think, I mean, you're totally right with financial planning. I mean, when you acquire a medium of exchange, the idea there is there is something on the other end that there would be a price at which you would exchange that for other goods. No, never, Michael. That's heretical. <laughs> I can't believe you just said that. You're supposed to say, I'm never selling. Yeah, who's bearish on this podcast now, huh? Yeah, the, uh, the, the mm. tables have turned. <laughs> <laughs> this is post-hyper-Bitcoinization. Um, the returns... It's going up forever, Michael. <laughs> forever. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, people people have to like think uh, clearly about, like, you know, now that you, you've transcended into this Bitcoin world, you still have wants and needs, mm -hmm. and you have to decide 
what what is it that you actually want? So I think the book is really great and just kind of your general brand. Uh, you know, your Twitter account is very good. Uh, it, it's very good for inspiring self-reflection. Well, thank it's like, you. It's, yeah. it's about, you know, what do you actually value? And then based on that, then you can start coming up with a plan to how to actually achieve that. So it's like, you know, uh, as much as, you know, never sell, it's like, it's, we don't mean that in a completely nihilistic way where it's like, it's, it's like in and of itself, um, we, we are trying to transcend into, into higher, higher levels of being the, uh, higher planes. Um, well, I think it's like new age (laughs) nonsense we could say here. There are five, um, there are five aspects of people's lives that are generally important and what kind of money you have doesn't actually play into those five things. So it's, um, it's family is one, um, community is another one. Spirituality is one, um, creativity is another. And then the last one is your place in the world. And those five things, they don't change whether you use Bitcoin or fiat, right? Everyone still wants something out of those five things in their life, regardless of what money they're using, what job they're in, what all the other aspects of our fiat lives right now. So I think that the important thing for Bitcoiners is to think about how you want to plan your life around this around Bitcoin, really, right? You've gotten yourself to a place where, okay, now you're stacking sats, or maybe you have a nice stack that you that you're feeling confident about. But how are you going to plan your life in the future based on the fact that you've done the work now? What 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 is it able to unlock for you, and how can you think about these things? Yeah, exactly. Um, and so we call that life planning, and it's basically it's all about um, casting a wide net about what are all the elements that are in your life. And then prioritizing the ones that are really important to you and then knocking out obstacles along the way to make sure that you actually get the things that you want to prioritize. Um, And what I found is that people who go through this process actually achieve what it is that they want to have. Um, The interesting part about it, which sort of goes back to fiat related um, concerns, is like, oh, well, if you know, if there is an inflation, then how are people going to spend money or stimulate the economy and X, Y and Z thing? What we found actually is that Every uh, 18 months to two years, people's goals change. So that what that means, right, is that, okay, I, I accomplished something or I'm working towards something and that happens in the next 18 months to two years. Okay, now I'm on to the next thing and now I need to plan for something else and spend money on that and so forth and so forth. So that cycle doesn't really end whether you're in the fiat world or in the Bitcoin world. Yeah, here, here's another heretical statement. Bear with me. Go for it. Um, there is a marginal value of money. Like each additional unit... Uh, will bring less utility. I, I don't know if that's strictly Austrian, but I'm I'm following you. Yeah. Okay. Just just going with that. Now Because money now, doesn't have any utility per se. But I see we, But it, what you're it saying. gives you the In capacity of, yeah. to, to to make economic decisions. I hear you. Um it's never enough, Michael. Give me yeah. all the sats. Well, and, and, and look, like right yeah. now we are in, a, in a, a state of the world where accumulation is the name of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm not detracting from that. I'm talking about a, post, a post-hyper-Bitcoinization world. We are in a yeah. Bitcoin world. There's going to be a marginal value to that, to that each, each additional unit. Um, at some point, you might run out. Now, the interesting thing is I look at rich people in a fiat world, and I, I start to notice how they don't know how to stop. And I think part of the reason why they don't know how to stop is because they can't stop. Mm. Because when you're in the fiat game, there is no end. Like you're always having it. You're always having your wealth siphoned off from you and you always have to find a way to stay ahead. You can never just step away from the table. You are stuck there forever. And I think it will be interesting in a Bitcoin world. At some point, there might be a point where it's like, 
I don't need to accumulate as much. Notice you're still accumulating. Um, but but you, you, you don't necessarily, you start to actually, um, it, it's sort of my speculation that with fiat, you don't feel that marginal value of money because it's like, if you can have a billion, I need a billion and I need to keep growing. Whereas with Bitcoin at some point, someone is, you know, not everyone wants, um, you know, to go to Mars. Yeah. So they don't need all of the capital that it takes to go to Mars. They're looking for a nice, simple life with their family on a nice little piece of land, et cetera. And once they've reached that, there's not as much impetus to spend the time. You have to actually, you know, you, you have to, you have to give up leisure time in order to go accumulate more things. And at some point, the price of that is just like, no, I like what I have and I want to cultivate these nice things. And so you're not chasing after more. Yeah, I hear you. I think one of the more interesting things about Bitcoin, too, is like it's sort of in those five things that I was talking about. Bitcoin actually fulfills a lot of those. So, for instance, people want they crave community. They go out of their way for community. Bitcoin has one of the I mean, I find one of the most amazing communities where you're constantly meeting people who are like minded or who have enough commonality where they can have really interesting conversations with each other. There's a really robust community around Bitcoin. And from um, such a like a, a diverse walks of life. I oh, mean, you, yeah. You have, you have artists, you have businessmen, you have scientists. You Eye have surgeons. Mm hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I just met one. <laughs> so, right, that's that's top of mind. We have guys who just stack rocks on top of other rocks. Yeah, shout out Stony. Yeah. yeah, we have you know we have guys building houses like Surfer Jim. Yeah, and uh, you know just people all just doing great things. Um, and but, all but, part of the community and communities have popped up all over the place. Right, lots of different meetups. Um, Bit Devs comes to mind too is like a, a place where people can go and get together and talk about the things that they want to talk about, especially related to Bitcoin. And then place too, right? Your place is not really community. Your place is where do I fit in in this world? Um, and I think that Bitcoin has actually provided that element for a lot of people in the community of where they sort of fit in, how they can, you know, find purpose and meaning in their life through finding their place of where they come from or where they want to be. Um, and then, I mean, it sort of, it doesn't fulfill the family aspect of it, but um, it does sort of come in line with what people like to talk about with multi-generational wealth, right? Like Bitcoin's one of those things that you can actually create like the multi-generational wealth and pass down and have, you know, maybe have like a Purdue style family meetings and in the works if you want to do with your Bitcoin. And even before that, you have um, more certainty about the future mm -hmm. by, by having yeah. a sound money. And so you're willing to take on more risks um, and, and uh, take on, you know, family stuff that you yep. may have not otherwise wanted to take on because, oh, the... It's really bad out there right now. Mm, yeah, like, no, we're fine. We it does seem like Bitcoiners are yeah more likely to have families. Maybe um, there's also the creativity. That's definitely something yeah, to here we go. <laughs> there's the creativity aspect of it. So creativity is often thought of, let's say, like NFTs, right? But it actually isn't that. It's like you using your mind to create things. Uh, Bitcoin is, I think, one of the like the paramount examples of of that, right? Like Satoshi, obviously, he used his mind to create Bitcoin, right? And then there are all of these very um, very intelligent people coming together in the community to create more um, and, and better security and more on top of Bitcoin, right, for it. So You can hear them right now. Yeah, exactly. They're, <laughs> they're all very excited and about what I'm saying. And then the last thing is the spirit, spirituality portion of it. Um, what I found is that Bitcoiners more and more often are, after they get into Bitcoin, have been getting more and more into religion. So um, it kind of hits on all of the aspects of what um, is important to people in their lives. Um, and I mean, it, it isn't just as important to me in those ways too. So on the creativity, I really think that like NFTs are consumerism. They're not creativity. Totally. Um, creativity, I think is a lot easier when 
you have more time. And same thing with spirituality, same thing with family, mm-hmm. uh, same thing with community and finding your place in the world is that you, you've got to have more, more time to do that. And inflation is time theft. And so it steals your time. And it also, because it incentivizes consumerism, uh, then people spend time like online shopping or, you know, they're... Or looking at trading charts, even. Looking at trading charts, mm-hmm. yes. Whether it's they're spending on consumer goods or on uh, investments. Um, whereas with Bitcoin, it's, like, super simple. Like, uh, so you have to stop spending time shopping. And you have to stop spending time researching investments. Because you're just going to send Bitcoin to your cold storage. And that frees up a lot of time. It frees up a lot of mental energy that then you can repurpose to these other higher ends. Yeah, I love that. That's great. Uh, On the one of like, you know, finding your place in the world, something that I've thought about is, you know, there's a lot of people and I've I've met people who they work, you know, blue collar kind of working class jobs. And, you know, they're not making a lot of money, but they do stack sets. And they, they see the benefits that they're getting from stacking sets. And, you know... Obviously, people should always be, you know, looking for whatever fulfills them more. But, you know, it makes me sad that, you know, so many people are stuck in working environments where they don't actually want to be there. Mm-hmm. And they also they, they look down upon themselves um, rather than being able to see what is the value that I'm creating, um, that I'm you know making making my my paycheck as it is. And I get the sense that when people are earning Bitcoin and being able to to you know buy bitcoin they're going to be thinking more is like well how do i accumulate more and when you ask that question you need to reflect and actually well what value am i creating and even if they can't necessarily go off and get a new job at the moment it might inspire them to look at their current situation as like well what can i do to improve this current situation actually embrace the fact that hey i'm stacking sets you know i might not be making six figures every year but I'm getting to stack some sets and, and provide for my future. And they can have, they can feel more dignity in where they are right now as a way to um, start building towards something better, as opposed to always just looking down on themselves, which I think also leads to, you know, everyone just wants to be like a YouTube influencer or whatever. This like very fast track to getting tons of money, as opposed to this low time preference building of wealth, because you're actually, you know, directly understanding the value that you're creating to pe- for people and finding ways to increase that value output. Absolutely agree. Yeah, really well said. Do you guys want to wrap it up here? We I'm, certainly have a crowd going in the background, so. Um, I, I don't know what time <laughs> mark we're on. Okay. Yep. Yeah. All right. Let's let's call it. That's that's the annual episode, folks. Uh, well, see you in 2023. Yeah, see you in 2023. <laughs> uh, you can listen to this one multiple times. Uh, I feel honored that I was included in this annual episode. So thank you for having me on again. Hey, thank you for joining us. Yeah. Yeah, Thank you for joining us. Good conversation. Absolutely. Jocko, what do you think about when you don't feel like getting after it? You know, I put this out the other day and I think it's important. All right. So Rome wasn't built in a day. We all know that. Everyone hears that. But Rome also didn't fall apart overnight either. It took hundreds of years for Rome to reach its peak 
But it also took time, hundreds of years, for Rome to decay and fall apart. And that is representative of life. Because you don't achieve worthwhile goals quickly or easily. They take time. They take struggle. They take relentless pursuit day in and day out. That's what it takes. But also, things don't usually fall apart quickly either. At least at first, it, it's, it's a slow process. A little slip here. A little setback over there. A little wearing down of discipline and will over time. That's the thing. Success and failure are generally slow processes. Either slowly building things up or gradually tearing them down. And that's why I say you've got to pay attention. You have to watch. You have to watch every single second. Because those seconds, they turn into minutes. And minutes turn into hours, and hours turn into days, and days turn into years. And so, that second, that second that just went by, that counted. And so did that second. And so did that one. And in those precious seconds, you were either building or you were decaying. You were either gaining ground or you were losing ground in that second and in every second. Every second counts. So make every second 